0: All right, welcome back everyone to the Pack Out Podcast. Uh, today we have a, a pretty informative guest, uh, a guest that we've looked forward to talking to in Trail Kreitzer. He's, he's uh, uh, with Go Hunt, which, if you are into point draws or um, any sort of Western hunting, you've probably heard his name before, I've seen him in YouTube videos, read his articles. Um, so we get to talk to him today about point creep, point draws and the future of elk hunting and western hunting out west uh it'll be a good discussion we're we're both looking forward to it um but first a little reminder for michigan residents uh deer and elk or not deer and elk elk and bear points are due uh june 1st cody
1: yeah i think june 1st is the last day you can buy so when this comes out, it'll be the 28th. It'll be Friday. So you'll have the weekend Memorial Day. And then I think, I think you can still buy in June. I think it's May 1st to June 1st. I'm
0: pretty sure you're right too. Yeah. You get that extra day, that, that last little reminder day in June to, to buy a point. They're five bucks a piece uh, for a non-resident or resident. You don't have to have a hunting license. Um, non, as a non-resident, I can only apply for bear. Um, I've been stacking up points for a few years after this year, I'll have nine, um, which will give me enough to draw the unit that I want um, it's just a matter of picking a year to not go west and to use it <laughs> and uh, that'll be a tougher a tougher decision than I think it might
1: so Cody what are you up to I'm sitting on four so I'll do point only for bear this year um, I always put in for elk so I'll have four four going into the draw this year I always do the um, Uh, the either sex tag you can do either sex or you can do bull only um if you draw a bull tag that's your once in a lifetime tag you're done uh you can do the pure michigan hunt so i guess there's a little bit of work around that uh which is just kind of a lottery deal where you get an elk tag but if you draw a cow tag or uh yeah if you draw a cow tag i'm sorry um i think you're out for 10 years so the odds aren't great, but I kind of look at it as I'm 29. So if I can draw that cow tag before I'm 50, you know, maybe, maybe I can still squeeze in that, uh, (laughs) that bull tag too, but I'm not picky. I think it'd be super cool to shoot, uh, you know, just to shoot a Michigan elk, um, spend some time up in that country where they they reside. So I'm sitting on four. And, and,
0: And that's the thing too. Like well, I was going to say, like, the odds are not great, but I mean, wasn't it just last year that a guy drew a Michigan bull tag and then also drew a pure Michigan hunt? So he shot two bulls in one year in Michigan or something like that.
1: Yeah. And I don't know what those bulls scored, but he he killed like two solid six by six Michigan bulls, which, you know, for what yeah. we have is is pretty impressive. There's a guy from my hometown that drew, uh, he drew a bull tag his first year putting in. And killed like a nice six by seven up there, you know. And it's like, well, I hope you bought some lottery tickets too, because you essentially just, those are the odds you just hit, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it, it, it's a cool opportunity that we have in the state. Um, you know, our elk herds thriving. Uh, I think they're actually, I think we're over objective right now. They actually increased the tags a little bit, I wanna say. Don't quote me on that. Um, but the Michigan tag's kind of cool because. I don't really have to think about it. You know, I pay my five bucks someday. Maybe I'll draw someday. Maybe I won't, uh, you know, but out West, it's a little bit different for me. Um, you know, this year we, uh, will get a point in Wyoming. Uh, my buddy and I, we applied in New Mexico. We drew a tag in Montana and then we started to build points in Colorado. Um, with jumping into Colorado, we also jumped into mule deer and antelope. Um, jumping into antelope in Wyoming, potentially Montana. So as you can see, the list just kind of keeps growing. Uh, but that's where Go Hunt comes in for me. You know, I don't know how I'd keep this stuff straight with, without uh, the stuff that they're doing over there at Go Hunt. Um, I'm an insider now, so I've been an insider. I think this is going to my third year, and you know, just kind of going back into when I first started to jump into the Western game a couple of years ago, it's just so overwhelming. You know, and that was just strictly looking at elk. Like mule deer and antelope weren't even on my radar. You know, and I came across Gohan. I think uh, maybe from Randy Newberg, listening to one of his podcasts. Um, you know, and got in there and checked it out. The application strategy articles, the draw odds. Uh, it's just such a such a nice tool. So yeah, I think when we both kind of started talking about you know what we want to talk about today, as far as kind of what the elk hunting landscape looks like out west. You know, what's going on with point creep. Uh, you know, we were kind of talking back and forth, like who do we want to have on? And I think we both right away were like, we'll trail you know from Go Hunt he's he's kind of the guy so uh pretty cool to get Trail to hop on here today um Trail you are the uh, the research manager and sort of gear expert over at Go Hunt right
2: uh yeah yeah so i've been i've been here about 4 years uh, when i first came on with Go Hunt um that was like my my title i guess would be research manager and then you know, quote unquote gear expert. I, I don't know what a gear, <laughs> I, I, I guess I, I like gear, right? So I've used a lot of gear over the years. I, they give me a lot of, uh, they give me a bad time here at work about the word expert. I don't know that I'm an expert, but I've used, <laughs> I've used a lot of gear and I spend a lot of time uh, looking at gear. Um, I'm like, a you know, self-admitted gear junkie. Um, I need, I need to have a garage sale. Like, I'm at that point where I'm ready to put that out on Facebook and just, hey, garage sale at my house, you know, come by and just get some, get some gear because I'm definitely overloaded, uh, with gear. But, um, yeah, I guess my, my current title would be, um, you know, gear expert. I guess, um, I've kind of moved into more of the store side of things with Go Hunt, uh, as of about a month ago. Um, you know, still heavily involved in like uh feedback and like working with our research department to, you know, help the product and you know I've I've been applying in the West for, you know, 20 plus years. So I have like a good working knowledge of all the western states and how those work. Um so yeah, I I guess I'm I'm kind of a I don't know, a utility player, right? Middle infielder for for Go Hunt and I do a lot of uh a lot of our gear procurement at this point. So yeah, that's kind of my my uh my role here at Go Hunt.
1: I like. I kind of like that they gave you that gear expert title because I'm I'm uh, admittedly a gear junkie myself. Right. Um, you know, and I love my job, but there's nothing about my job where where I could be considered a gear expert. So that's kind of cool in your day to day. You know that you're getting to do that. Stuff.
2: Yeah, it's been been a cool opportunity. Yeah, I, I look at a lot of gear. I have a chance, like I said, to to procure a lot of gear for the shop. Um, you know, I get a chance to go to a lot of the different shows, whether that's like outdoor retailer in the summer or the archery trade association. Um, you know, I love to shoot my bow. I love, I love to tinker with my bow. So like, that's always been a passion of mine as well. Um, so so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a unique spot where I think I just have, you know, age working for me. I have a lot of years of experience working with a lot of that different stuff. And then, you know, I've been, um, you know, blessed if you will, to, to kind of like grow up in the West and a lot of the gear that's, uh, specific to hunting in the West has been like part of my, you know, the stuff I've used for forever. So you gain a lot of gear and you gain a lot of knowledge over those years.
0: See, I think I speak for Cody and myself that we've both gained a lot of gear just in a short (laughs) amount of time. (laughs) I mean, I don't know how many, I don't know how many hours I've spent at work. Supposed to be researching something else, and I'm looking up, like, well, what what's that R value mm. on that pad? How, how thick is that pad? How much does that pad weigh? Is it comfy though? That's all I care about. I don't care about it. Yeah.
2: So. Yep. Yep. Ounces, you know, ounces matter. Um, you know, comfort matters. Like, all that equates to a better experience when you're in the backcountry, you know, and I get a lot of people that'll ask, you know, like, does gear make a difference? Um, you know, it's not going to necessarily make or break your hunt all the time, but if you've got, you know, 10 days that you've carved out of your entire year and you're going to put that into hunting, you know, specifically into Western big game hunting. And for like a lot of guys that are coming from back East, I mean, that's a, you know, you're, you're invested, you're invested time, gas, you know, you're away from your family. Um, you know, it's kind of your hopes and dreams and you put all that effort into it. Yeah. Some of the gear can definitely make that experience better. So, you know, it's worth putting time and effort into researching your gear and then, you know, getting the best gear that you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Cody and I made the mistake today of, of uh, I, I watched a a YouTube video as a bear hunt this this spring. I was like, wow, Western guys really have money into their mm. rifles. He's like, well, us Eastern guys have a lot of money in our bows. It's no different. And then we made the mistake of tallying that. Yeah. And we'll just keep those numbers to ourselves. <laughs> Don't. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Don't, don't tally it. Just, just keep it tucked away. You know, no. you, you can't take money <laughs> with you anyway, when you die. Right.
0: Nope. Not at all. Those are wise yeah. words.
1: Yeah, for sure. Outside of the gear stuff trailer, are you, um, are you part of working on like those application strategy articles? Um, I know for myself, like right now, um, my dad and my brother—we're gonna try to go on an antelope hunt at some point in the next, you know, three, four, five years, or whatever. So, like, one of the first things I did was hop on the different application strategy articles for the different states, and it's such a nice, concise breakdown. Are you working on some of that stuff too?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been—it's been over the last four years um, when I came on with go Hunt, That's been a primary responsibility of mine. So, you know, once those states start opening up draws, um, you know, you're looking at like Wyoming out the gate, all the way through. You know, state like Colorado that just closed, or you know, you still have Wyoming, deer and antelope, with which that deadline is coming up on the 1st of June. Um, that time frame, really uh, December through about uh, the end of May, has been you know time when I've been working on application strategy articles. And we, what we do is kind of divvy up the states, um, kind of on people's expertise, on where they've hunted and they've spent the most time and done the most research. And I end up doing maybe half, maybe around half of the states and species. So um, yeah, that's been a, that's been a, a major responsibility for me. And I end up every year, um, you know, from December all the way through uh, May with probably, you know, 250, 300 pages of, of written application strategy articles. And that's, you know piggybacking. A whole bunch of research that went into writing those, you know, looking at graphs and draw odds and different units and, you know, talking to people that hunted those units and guides and outfitters, um, you know, looking at statistics on harvest, you know, harvest statistics and bull to cow ratios. Um, Yeah, that's that's a major push for me. Um, This year will probably be kind of the last year I do that as I move into like a new role, but we'll, you know, be backfilling that with other people that will be writing those application strategy articles. But, yeah, that's been, you know, been a been a ton of work. It's, it's something that, like, I love. I, I love those, but they take a ton of time and a ton of effort. You, you you learn things. I mean, you pick up, like, little nuggets and gems as you do those application strategies. Um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of miss them a little bit, and I'm sure I'll still be doing, like, my own research uh, kind of on the side as well as, like, reading through those. But, yeah, that's been a, a major push for me over the last many years.
0: So you, you mentioned that you've been applying for tags and, 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 points and stuff like that out West for upwards of mm-hmm. 20 years, what kind of changes have you seen in that time frame? with, you know, things like point creep or hunter numbers, animal numbers, animal quality, mm-hmm. you know, things of that nature?
2: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I've definitely seen the demand um, re- really over the last, you know, five years, I would say uh, pick up, you know, specific to Western big game hunting. Um, You you hear all the time, you know, hunters are on the decline, right? And and I would say maybe if you look at the United States as a whole, uh, that might be the case, you know, per capita population, maybe hunters are on the decline, but as far as the number of people that are applying and hunting, you know, wanting to hunt the West, uh, over the last five years, that's increasing and we're seeing, you know, more demand year over year, especially like within the last two to three years, I would say. and I think that's due. I mean, we're, we're partly, you know, to blame for that. Gohan, there's some other services out there uh, that also cover the kind of information that we do a little bit. Um, but really, as a whole, I just think it's like the the information day and age, right? We're living in the golden age of of information exchange. Um, everybody is so readily connected at this point, and uh, there's so much information at your fingertips. So, um, you know, as I was hearing you guys talk earlier. Um, you know, going out west and hunting in the west—it's pretty complicated, especially if you start looking across multiple states. Uh, all the states have different draw systems and strategies. Um, you know, it can be a little bit costly. Uh, all those rules and regs are pretty tough to navigate. But um, you know, go hunt—we've uh, managed to put that into like a really nice, concise, workable package for people that they can navigate. So. What I think was probably at one time a really high hurdle to jump over is now, you know, it's it's doable. You know, they they can put together a hunt. They can do, you know, the research, the planning, the prep. Uh, they can find all the gear. They can research the methodology that goes into doing a western big game hunt. And so now, you know, they're they're seeing, hey, this is way more doable than I thought. So I'm I'm seeing that. Um, interestingly enough, I'm actually seeing in my lifetime what I would say is is probably Uh, better trophy potential, to be honest, uh, and really good numbers. Um, You know, I remember as a kid, I grew up here in southern Utah. I still live here in southern Utah. But I remember going out with my dad, you know, at like 14, 15, 16, and and hunting pretty hard, you know, to kill like the yearling or a two-year-old mule deer buck, you know, and you just didn't see a lot of bucks. Uh, And at that time, um, it was general season. I could go down to the gas station and buy my permit. So, you know, the, the resource was was there, at least in numbers that they were allocating tags, but you just didn't see a lot of mature bucks. Um, you know, now it's a little bit tougher to get a permit, but I feel like if I get a permit, especially here in my own backyard, if I scout and I hunt pretty hard, like I can come up with a pretty nice buck. Um, you know, and I, and I feel that way in a lot of states that I hunt. Um, you know, if you look at a state like Wyoming, Wyoming general season elk, for example, that's a really good opportunity with pretty good trophy potential overall. Um, I, I still think, you know, there's, there's really good potential to hunt, although it's maybe not as, as uh, readily available as it once was, but I feel like the, you know, the maturity of the animals is good. I think it's still up in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. It's interesting I, because you hear that like, you know, point creep and, and whatnot, and, and maybe we should get into what point mm-hmm. creep is here in a second Cody, but like <clears throat> you hear that, I mean, y- you see the, the point numbers in some of these States. I mean, there are some guys. Uh, I remember listening to a podcast a couple months ago. There's a guy in Arizona with like 30 points or something like that, just hanging out. Like, and there's other people like him. I mean, it's it's been around for a while. I'm I'm curious as to mm-hmm. you know what is going to happen here in the next few years with that.
2: Yeah, I. It's interesting because some states have a you know a system. Where they started out into a point system, and I think originally it was probably within, you know with good intentions to reward the people that continued to apply year and year out. Um, I think as demand has increased, and you know we're talking about a finite re- you know resource. I mean, it's you only can give so many permits every year in some states. You know, based on the populations that they have, and. Uh, Yeah, I I think originally the intent was good to like reward people for continuing to apply. But I think over time, um, you know, I I think those systems are just going to continue to get longer. And it it doesn't bode well, uh, if I'm honest, maybe for like some of the younger generation, like my kids, you know, there's some areas, some states that they may not ever draw a tag. I mean, if my my boy, my oldest boy at 16. You know, I apply him in Nevada. He may not ever draw a Nevada L tag. I may never draw a Nevada L tag, you know, even even with the number of points and years that I've been applying. Um, but it doesn't mean that there's not still opportunities to hunt in the West. There still are, and there's still states that have uh, maintained a strategy, uh, whether that's in you know, draw systems, or whether that's in the way they've allocated permits and they manage their 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 herds. There's still opportunities to hunt. Um, you know, I've done a lot of talking this year, I think, specifically uh, about having a multiple state strategy. So when I hear you say that you're applying for all these different species in different states, Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what it's come to. Like, if you want to hunt the West, if you want to hunt elk every year consistently, you can still do so, but you have to have a multi-stage strategy at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like, you know, just talking with the buddy I hunt with, you know, even, maybe two years ago when we started this, it was kind of like everything seemed more concrete, you know, like we'll start building for Wyoming. We can draw that here. Then the following year, we'll be back in Montana. And then we always have Colorado over the counter. And now it's just like things are changing. So what seems to be so drastically every year, and I don't know whether that's that's true or not. That's just what it kind of seems like on the surface. But I think what it came back to for us was, was to your point, yeah, we just feel like we need to have points in different states and not even just for elk now. I mean, our goal is pretty much to hunt elk annually, but it's like at the end of the day, we just want to go hunting out West. So if it comes to a year where, you know, maybe we can't draw an elk tag and Colorado doesn't work out, or maybe that system changes. Okay. Now we're sitting on some mule deer points. We're sitting on some antelope points. You know, maybe we can draw a rifle tag that would be a little more doable for us as first time antelope hunters. Um, so yeah, I guess we're just trying to keep, multiple irons in the fire per se. Um, I mean, is that kind of the best way to try to combat some of this? I, I don't know that there's any real way to combat that, but do you just kind of have to have multiple options out there to sort of work around it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've got one, you know, for one, you've got to know, uh, how the different states, uh, draw systems work, you know, how they allocate their permits. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Colorado having the o- OTC opportunity, that's still a really good opportunity that exists in Colorado and, you know, currently you can still put that in your back pocket, you know, as a backup type of hunt for yourself. Um, but yeah, you, you've got to know how the different states draw strategies work and you got to kind of know how to navigate that, um, you know, when to buy points, what a point means even, you know, like what's a bonus point, what's a preference point. Um, and, and you do kind of have to start to mine out and find those like little hidden gems that are tucked away and there's there's definitely still you know hidden gems um, you know I, I talk to people a lot that that'll say you know there's no permits to be drawn or it's really tough to come up with an opportunity even if you do have a multi state strategy and uh, i i don't I don't necessarily find that to be the case current as of yet anyway you know it may be ten or fifteen or twenty years down the road I mean but as of right now there's still there's so many permits you can still put in your pocket. You know whether that's over the counter or you know low point draws or you know states where you've been banking points over time and you finally decide to cash those in. Um, you just got to have a good working knowledge of how all those different systems work. You got to know what opportunities are available to you, and you got to you got to play the game. Got to play the system. You know you got to buy the points. You got to apply where it makes sense. Um, I mean, for example, this year, I can kind of give you a rundown for me. Um, you know, I've got a Montana general combo, you know, big game combo. So that's a deer and an elk permit. Um, I've got an Idaho over-the-counter elk permit, which I, you know, I bought back in December because I was aware of how that.
1: You waited in line <laughs> yeah, with yeah. the rest of us.
2: <laughs> you had the pleasure of that as well, huh?
0: Well, I got lucky. I only waited about oh, 15 nice. minutes, um, but my uncle waited about two and right. a half hours. <laughs> he had to cancel a meeting with his boss and he's like, this better be worth it. That tad better be Priorities, there. Priorities,
2: <laughs> man. Priorities, right?
0: Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. And
2: I did the same thing. I mean, I waited in line, I think about an hour and 48 minutes and you know, the two hunts that I wanted to pick up originally were gone, but I'd done my research and I knew, you know, I had options three, four and five after, and I checked those and those were available. So I picked up my third option. Right. Um, so I, I picked that up. I drew an archery uh, antelope tag in Arizona, which the odds for that was like 0.05%. Um, but,
1: I was going to say that's right. impressive.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> when I saw the charge, I was like, you know, that's an antelope tag and antelope are awesome. I'd love to hunt antelope, but man, couldn't that have been an elk tag? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've got that. Uh, you know, so I've got, you know, a number of permits already um and none of them were like really super exceptional permits but just because i was willing to kind of dig in do the research and and apply in multiple states i mean i still was able to secure myself some permits
0: yeah we didn't we didn't have a backup plan Mm -hmm. going into idaho because we just i mean we didn't know that they would randomly place you in Mm -hmm. line as they said i don't know how accurate that is but like when I got down to it, you know, we were on 45 minutes in and my uncle and I are texting back from forth And, and said, what do we do if there's no tag for our yeah. zone? And, and there ended up being, you know, a bunch left. So it wasn't a, a big deal, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we should have, we should have had a backup plan just in case, but
2: uh, yeah. And, oh, well, yeah. we got it. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't know either. I mean, that was new to me as well. I didn't know that they were going to place everybody into like a, a queue, you know, and essentially give you the chance when they pulled your number. Um, I thought that that might be the case. I'd kind of gone down the line and picked some different options in zones that I might pick up if my preferred options were gone. Um, I I would say, you know, given the demand and the way that that whole thing went down, it wouldn't shock me if they went to a draw system, you know, for those zones as well next year or maybe the following year. Um, I haven't heard that being talked about, but it wouldn't surprise me if that is the case. but but if they do that again, it's uh, you know again it's it's evaluating the odds. It's looking for like those little hidden tucked away options. You know, it's it's doing the research on the front end.
0: Yeah, for sure. And we did a little bit of research and we found out the zone that we did get um, prior to and the reason why I, I, him and I decided basically we needed to be on at this time. It's going to sell out is because they cut the tags mm-hmm. by over half of right the zone. And so we knew there'd be a lot of people trying to
2: cram in Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And and that's part of it too. I mean, you got to kind of know the the demand for the different zones. I mean, I, I'm not candid, you know, I'll talk about, so, you know, Diamond Creek was my preferred zone. I know for a fact that that one has sold out the last, you know, three or four years right out the gate. And, uh, you know, I knew that it would probably be gone. But I wanted to check and see, and then you know I knew kind of in order the other zones that have been uh more popular and selling out quicker, and so I kinda knew you know I had my 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 zones ranked out based on what I thought would be my best options before I even got into that line so it's just just another piece of the puzzle, and you know we do we do those application strategy articles every year we try to cover all that information to kind of let people know you know, what, what they might expect before you go into that situation.
1: Um, maybe let's back up for just a second. Do you mind kind of just telling people like the difference between systems where it's a bonus point versus a preference point versus some hybrid systems, random draw, that yeah. kind of thing. And maybe how those tie into point mm-hmm. creep.
2: Yeah. So the two that are probably the most talked about, like you mentioned, would be a preference point system and a bonus point system. And then, like you said, a hybrid system. Um, when people talk about a, a true preference point system, um, they give preference to the people with the most points. So um, for example, Colorado, elk, and antelope, it's a true preference point system, meaning the applicants that apply for any given hunt with the most points are gonna get those permits. They're guaranteed those permits. So there's no random component to that. Um, if you have, you know, left points, then kind of that cutoff line. And, you know, if you're a go hunt Insider, that's a big part of our platform is like, you know, putting those odds in a, in a way that you can evaluate what essentially is the cutoff line. You know, how many points you need to draw any given hunt. Um, that's a big part of playing that system. So a, a true preference point system gives the permits to the people with the most points. And that's just the way it is. There's no random component to it. Um, a bonus point is a little bit different in that uh, essentially it's still a random draw but they're giving you statistically better odds with the more points that you have. Um, so you take a system like uh, Nevada, for example. So Nevada is a, a bonus point system. What they do is they take the number of bonus points that you have and they square those, but the random, the draw is still random. So you still have a chance your first year of applying, uh, but statistically, the more bonus points you have, you know, the better your odds because they're going to square those, right? So it's like having your name that many more times in the hat. Um, that's kind of the, the difference between a preference point system and a bonus point system. Um, one giving you know, true preference to the people with the most points, the other one just giving you a statistically better chance with that bonus point, um, but still having a random chance to draw. And then you know, you've got a bunch of different hybrid systems, right? So you've got uh, a hybrid system where they may take a portion of the permits and give those to the people with the most points. And then the other portion of the permits, they're going to randomly allocate. Um, uh, Wyoming Elk, for example, is, is a classic example of that. Uh, they're gonna take you know, 75% of the permits, they're gonna allocate those to the people that with the most points that apply, and then the other 25%, they're gonna randomly allocate, and uh, they're not gonna give any weight to the number of preference points you have in that system. Um, and that's kind of how, how a hybrid works, where they're gonna take you know, a bulk of the permits, uh, give them to the people with the most points, and then the other, you know, 25% or so, they're going to randomly allocate. Um, and that kind of rewards, you know, that, that it's, you know, for both types of people, it, it keeps people engaged, it keeps people applying because they have some chance to draw, even though they may not have the most points for the hunt that they apply for. Uh, but it rewards the people that have been in the system for a long time and applying that kind of help you understand how those words did i do a good job of explaining those to, to you guys' understanding
1: yeah no i think that was good like like i said when you know you first jump in if you don't know mm-hmm. like like you had even mentioned at the beginning of this what's you know what's a what's a bonus point what's a preference point what's the mm-hmm. difference um with the preference points and point creep i always uh i think about the story that brady miller told about um his dad in the northwest corner trying to draw the elk tag and being like you know, I ran the numbers for him and dad, you're going to be yeah. 134 years old or whatever, <laughs> yep. you know, and there's still people putting in for that tag. And maybe it's because they just don't really understand how that works. But I, mm-hmm. uh, I always get a kick out of that story.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and I guess that was the latter half of your question is like, what, uh, when you, when you speak about point creep, like what's point creep and when does it get really bad? Um, it gets really bad in states that have, you know, true preference points states or states that offer, you know, permits to people with the most points because what what end up ends up happening it actually just happened to me in Colorado just today, right I got my draw results today, so uh what ends up happening is you have you know only a certain number of permits and you have a pool of people um, that's larger than the number of permits uh, that are available, and so essentially what happens is it ends up taking one additional point every year uh to draw that permit. It just keeps jumping out ahead of you so. You know, in Colorado for elk, um, I have a unit that I applied for. I've got six points. Um, it had, you know, a percentage like an 80% chance of drawing that at my point level. Um, but because you know there were some people that moved in to the next point level from last year that didn't draw, and there were probably some people that jumped into that, um, I got jumped essentially. So that went from being an 80% draw. At six points to now, what is requiring you know seven, eight, nine points, and you know it it, it can uh, it can just keep moving out ahead of you. Like you can just keep chasing that unit that you think you might draw, but it's just taking one additional point every year because there's more people at those point levels every year as they chase those permits. So. Um, In navigating that, it becomes really important to uh, look at what we call our detailed draw odds pages, which are the number of applicants at each point level. And you can kind of track those so you can see like, okay, I know that there were six people last year that applied at six points. They'll be moving in with seven. You know, What are my chances going into this draw with six based on how many people had five last year that would also be moving into this same six point level with me? And it seems kind of complex, you know, as I talk about it. But as you jump into like your insider account, that's why we display things the way that we do. It becomes really handy to be able to track that movement year over year uh, based on the number of people that apply at each point level.
1: Yeah, and I feel like once you start kind of doing that, um, it's, it's not as complex as it seems, you know. Um, but to me, it seems like it's important to kind of do that, to set a realistic expectation, because I know I see on like the strategy articles or whatever, all the time people are commenting, Hey, the article said that it was a hundred percent chance draw or 80 percent chance draw or whatever. And I didn't draw like what's Mm -hmm. going on. And it's like, okay, well maybe, yeah, maybe you didn't just look at the detailed stuff. You know, um, But is that I mean, is that kind of what you need to do to kind of set that realistic expectation? Because I feel like at least to a degree, some people just look at the number put in and it's like, well, that's not really necessarily where it's going to be just because it was. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And we try to get the word out. I mean, I did a series of videos this year that we we put at the tops of those application strategy articles and we did some YouTube content to like try to get the word out. Um, I I think a lot of people think that you can uh, predict an odd you know, of drawing a hunt. Um, but you can't really predict because I can't I can't tell you like where people are gonna apply on any given year with how many points. You know? It people If yeah, only right I mean <laughs> I, I, I wish I could there's just so
0: many there's so many variables to that. I mean as you said, like, you know if someone sitting on the sideline buying points every single year, how many hundreds of people are doing that? And all it takes is one individual. So like my I I do research for Penn State mm-hmm. University and like we have, you know, confidence intervals. So 95% correct, well then it's a significant answer. Right. Well there's still 5% there that can be wrong. And in your world with draws, we're talking one individual out of how many thousands of applicants? Like it's just mm-hmm. not I mean you you can run all the stats you want and which I have a feeling the people are complaining about not drawing eighty percent are exactly running stats every day. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, there's still a chance to not.
2: Yeah, and, and the, you're right. There are a lot of uh, a lot of variabilities that go into that. Um, you know, in, in a state like Wyoming, for example, which you can buy points in the summer without ever even applying, right? So there's this pool of people that have, like you're saying, they're just buying and banking points. And on any given year, they can jump in and take, you know, permits, which can cause that point level to jump. Um, You know, another factor, uh, group applications, you know, in Wyoming, again, they allow people to apply as a group. So if I've got, you know, four points and you have no points, we can apply as a group. We're going to go in with two and we're going to take two permits out of, you know, out of a hunt, you know, that maybe, you know, took, you know, two permits. So that can jump. And then, you know, kind of another factor that maybe isn't talked about a ton is, is a lot of the uh, state game and fish agencies uh don't actually collect all the data they need to make their tag allocation recommendations until after the draws are already came and gone. So, you know, Utah, for example, has a deadline uh, for their application period that's typically around that first week of March, they don't actually set their permit numbers until the, uh, the board meeting, which is like in you know early May or late April, and then they do their draw. So, um, you know, they may cut five or six permits to meet their objectives. And then, you know, there's five or six permits that are gone from that pool. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different variables that uh, go into that, which, you know, essentially you, you can't predict an odd. Um, I couldn't in good faith, you know, predict an odd, tell people like, hey, you're absolutely going to draw this permit. Um, really, I think the best that we can do, or any any you know anybody could do is give you all the known data so I know last year how many of people applied at each point level. I know you know where they applied and I know how many permits were allocated last year like that's hard data, which I can give people, and they can use that to then make the best choice for their application but there is there's always that you know those those variables that pop up you know people apply in different places, you know, people banking points jump into the application process, maybe a tags cut. So, you know, things happen.
0: Yeah. A, a buddy of mine here, um, him and his boy applied for Wyoming antelope a couple years ago. And like they were planning, they were scouting during the draw process because he's like, yeah, we'll draw. We've got this many points. And then they didn't draw and, and they were, he was completely taken back by it. And they ended up going on a, a cow elk hunt. They drew a cow elk tag, ha- had a bunch of fun, didn't, didn't kill anything, but like, it's one of those things. Like he was for certain that they were going to get that tag and then just didn't yeah.
2: happen. It. Yeah. It's still, I, and I, I'm famous for telling people like, you know, the definition of an odd, right. Is like the likelihood it's still an odd. I mean, it's, there's still a chance, you know, that, that you won't, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's not a perfect science.
0: Warriors were up three <laughs>
2: one. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, and they lost. So yeah.
2: Well, my my Jazz are down one zero, so I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping something works out for them over the next four or five games. <laughs> I haven't watched of much
0: that. of that. I, I, I haven't much watched much of that series, but I would assume, especially if uh, Mitchell comes back yeah. in place, which I have a feeling after game one, I will, but
2: <laughs> tonight's so. the night. We'll see, I guess. Huh? Hopefully they can pull out a win at home.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, maybe let's kind of shift to more, more elk specific stuff. Uh, kind of the landscape of things right now. It seems like, you know, you mentioned even over the last few years seeing an increase in, you know, applications and point buying and stuff, but it seems like everything really kind of exploded this year, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't follow every state, but it seems like almost every state I'm following the numbers are up a certain percentage, you know, on applications. Um, I mean, is there anything that's really responsible for that? Is it just kind of a sign of the times things are getting more popular? Is this year kind of typical?
2: Um, I, I would say it's on par for the last, like I said, maybe three, three to five years we're seeing increases. Um, and, and again, I, I think it's due to, uh, you know, information exchange. I think people are exchanging information. You know, there's a lot of resources at this point that people can use to, to help, you know, put together an application strategy. And, and I think more people are applying across multiple states versus, I think in the past, a lot of them were just hunting their home state or their one state that they've always hunted. I, I think they're doing the thing that like, I'm essentially telling people to do is to have a multi-state strategy. Um, I think that's due in part. Um, this year, I think it's it's actually interesting. I. I think COVID, you know, I I thought maybe that would reduce, you know, some interest, but um it's been really interesting looking at the gear shop side of things. Um I get a lot of emails from like our outdoor retailer groups, you know, different companies that make tents, backpacks, those kinds of things. Um those those sales are all through the roof. I mean, people people want to get outside. I think that pandemic that put, you know, everybody locked up in their, their same four walls with their kids all day, every day. I think they just want to get outside. Um, and, and I think you're kind of seeing more interest in, in hunting in general. I mean, you've got other, you know, podcasts, Joe Rogan is, is famous, probably the most famous of the bunch that's talking about Western big game hunting and, you know, going out and securing like your own meat and that whole process. And I think that's increased some demand. Um, I don't, it'll be interesting to see if it's, uh, if it lasts. I guess that's kind of my interest is to see like how long that trend, if it hangs on, because, um, you know, the, the nature of Western big yeah. game hunting, is it, is, a fad? It, is it a fad? Yeah. I wonder. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be really interesting for me to see like over the next, you know, five to 10 years, if that trend, uh, continues, I, I kind of have a hard time thinking it's going to continue at the same rate. Um, i've I've hunted the west you know like i said my my entire life and western big game hunting um even with all the gear and the equipment and the knowledge it's still tough it's really tough uh it's hard work it's physically demanding uh especially if you want to be successful it'll be interesting to me to see if you know more people kind of you know kind of dip out they're like man i don't know if that thing is for me it's still tough
1: that's a really good point especially people that are kind of jumping into the game now Mm -hmm. you know it's yeah, like we went to Montana elk hunting, and and uh, not to be cliche, but it can be kind of a grind, and you better really enjoy western hunting if you're going to continue to play that game in the long term. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a good point. Are there going to be people that? <clears throat> excuse me, maybe they jumped in this year, jumped in last year, and then it's like, you know, maybe maybe my tree stand in the Midwest is okay. <laughs> yeah, <but. laughs> yeah, I, I. I mean that that last day in Montana,
0: we hunted with a buddy of mine. He and, and he you know ran cross country in high school he's an ultra marathoner now i mean we got a taste of like that last day of like okay this is this is i mean not not to say that we weren't western hunting the previous days we were we were covering a lot of miles but with him we covered a lot of miles we covered a lot of steep miles and we covered a lot of steep miles Mm -hmm. quick and i mean we were all beat up but we were all also ready to get back out there Mm -hmm. too and it makes you wonder like you know, I know a couple of guys that have gone out west. They don't get in shape; they just get their butts whipped the entire time. It's like, are you really gonna go again? Yeah. Like, I
2: don't. You know, yeah, I I I, I don't know. It it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see. You know, as as it continues, because you know, with that, you, you got more people out in the woods. You know, I I think you'll probably see record numbers of tags being sold for hunts like over the counter uh, elk in Colorado. You know, with that, I don't know that success is going to go up a whole bunch because, you know, there is a learning curve and it'll be interesting to see how many people go out there and, you know, get their, you know, quote unquote, get their butts handed to them that decide to come back year in and year out. Um, it, it'll be interesting. And I mean, that brings up a good point is to, you know, why, you know, why people get into hunting in the first place. And, you know, I love something that you you just said in that. uh you know, it was a tough hunt, you covered a ton of miles and I, I don't know if you found success or not, but you know, it's it's like what are your objectives for being out there? You know, is your objective to fill the permit? And if if your sole objective is, is to fill your your permit, you know, maybe you won't come back, but you know, if if it's just to, to take in the beauty of that and that experience and everything that goes into it, you know, you're gonna come back every year, right? Just just for that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we we weren't successful that day. Uh, we had we had one bull within bow range that we didn't know was in bowl range. Apparently a 600 pound animal can also be a ninja. Um, And, and, and then we also had one bull. uh, We had him fired up and I mean, fired up to the point where he ripped up the ground, ripped up the tree, pissed everywhere. Just and Cody and I have said it a a bunch of times on here and to our buddies, like what's so great about elk hunting? It's like, there's nothing like a 600 pound animal that screams at you. Mm -hmm. And, and that will always take me back
2: and
0: yeah. want me to go back west.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. You, so. you get a couple of those experiences, and it's just like, man, it's in your blood. It's all you, all you want to do, you know? And I, I agree. I mean, we call them timber ninjas because they can come in just – I mean, they can be so – stealthy you know when they know that the gig's up and they've winded you or you know maybe they saw something that they didn't really like like they can literally just slip out of there without a noise and you have no idea you know where they went it's yeah i'm the same way i mean every single year i've hunted elk i've been continually just uh blown away at their stealthiness
0: yeah the look that cody and i gave each other is just
1: like it's like what Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was right there
2: Yeah. That's what makes it so great though. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's always been this kind of like mystique of the West and the mountains and stuff for me. Um, you know, just growing up, I've always known that that was something that I kind of be wanted to be involved with. Um, and then, yeah, man, that first elk hunt, you just, you hear that first bugle. I like, I'll never forget the first bull that responded to a bugle that I put out and it just, you know, it kind of changed, kind of changes things. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point of I moved a year ago and took a new job. And, and when we decided to to start looking at kind of new opportunities, I'm like, Hey, what do you think about uh, like Wyoming, Montana, you know, uh, that was shot down, but, but yeah, just, I love the West. So anything that can get me out there and then, and then elk hunting just really solidified that. So now it's, now it's a matter of like, how can I use all this information that's at my fingertips this day and age? How can I use all that to make sure that I have an opportunity to get Mm -hmm. out there every year, because it's kind of the same for me. I'm really interested to see, like, does this plateau or can this continue at the same trajectory? Because that's where I think it's like, okay, in five years, if this growth is still happening, then, yeah, what is what does Colorado look like? What does Idaho look like? Is there a potential Mm -hmm. that I can't just go get an over the counter tag somewhere if I don't draw? You know, so Mm -hmm. I guess it's just kind of stacking the odds in my favor and making sure that I have the opportunity every year to go do that because I just love doing it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and you absolutely do. I mean, there's, I mean, right now there's still over the counter elk hunting in Colorado and they still have a very, very large elk herd, you know, that still exists. know, um, I've, I've heard a lot of talk lately. I've talked to a lot of people that, uh, you know, they're a little bit down on it. They're like, Oh, I don't, I would rather not go hunt OTC uh, Colorado elk just because of the number of people that they might see in the field. Um, you know i would say you know don't let that deter you you just may have to learn to hunt differently i mean those animals are still in that unit they still exist i mean they're, they're still out there um they're still available to you you just may have to adjust you know the way that you hunt you may have to go somewhere that you know you wouldn't have gone before um you know i think right now there's more people pushing into that like seven eight nine 10 mile range, you know, they really want to get back into the back country. And I think that you're seeing more people back there. You're seeing a lot of people, I think like along the roads and trails that we've always seen, you know, are there areas within, you know, kind of the nooks and crannies in that two to three mile range that are, you know, that you could exploit. Um, you know, I would say I, I grew up, it's, it's different for me. I'm a little bit different in that. Like I grew up in Southern Utah and we always call it the orange army, you know, come, come deer season. It was just an army of people. And like, you know that was just the norm. Like you just expected to see other people. Uh, it doesn't mean that like those years don't exist and that you can't find you know success every single year. You just kind of have to learn to navigate and work the the terrain differently. Um, you know I would tell people don't don't let that deter you. I mean, I get people ask all the time like oh you know look at this unit the number of um, you know people that hunted it or the the number of tags in that unit that that deters me. Uh, not necessarily. You know, I mean, look at the harvest success, look at the bull to cow ratios, you know, look at the terrain, like how much wilderness is there? How much, uh, what's the access like, like look at those things and kind of find those avenues to just hunt that area differently. Those those are, they still exist. I mean, those animals are still there.
1: Yeah. That's always how I kind of look at Colorado. You know, I think initially when I first started looking into elk hunting, you know, you read the stuff online, you watch the YouTube videos and yeah, it's always like, well, there's so many people in Colorado, but now it's kind of like, yeah, but there's also so much elk in Colorado, you Mm -hmm. know, that's a very good point. You may have to figure out how to hunt that differently, but Colorado doesn't necessarily, uh, scare me off Mm -hmm. per se, like it used to. Now I'm like, yeah, if we don't draw a tag somewhere else, like, you know, that's cool. Colorado has a lot of elk and it's six or eight hours closer than some other States to Michigan. So, you know, I have no problem making that work, but it's nice that that opportunity is out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I get where guys get frustrated that it, you know, it does seem overcrowded, but Uh, in my perspective, Mm -hmm. I kind of like that, you know, Idaho's over the counter, you know, per se, but I kind of like that there are those options. So if you do want to go elk hunting, you can, you can
2: still go elk hunting. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, even when you look at a state like Utah, I mean, you talk to somebody about Utah and they'll all tell you like, Oh, I'll never draw a tag there. The tags are extremely, you know, tough to draw. Um, yeah. And that's true. If you want to, maybe you want to chase a 330 inch bull, they're, they're definitely tough to draw. But a lot of people don't even, you know, realize or look into the fact that like, they sell over-the-counter spike elk tags still. Um, they still have over-the-counter any bull units. And, you know, there may not be a bunch of elk in those, but there are some units uh, within the state of Utah that you still have a good chance if you're willing to hunt hard, that you, you know, you'll have a reasonable chance of harvesting a bull. And when you start to look at the harvest statistics in those uh, units, you're seeing that there are people still out there harvesting elk every year. Um, and, and that's from a state that's probably not on a lot of people's, you know, lips. They're not talking about it.
0: No, it seems like Idaho is like the redhead stepchild mm. out West with elk hunting. As far as like over the counter stuff, it's like, it's like, well, you can draw it. You can go get over the counter in Utah. And and the response that I, I always hear, whether it's reading or on a podcast, is like, well, mm-hmm. eh. and they just kind of scoff at it. And, you know, that's good to know though about that. Cause I've always wondered, like, is that really the case? Is it really that bad? Because I mean, I got a buddy here, he killed an over-the-counter bull in, in, in Utah three, four years ago, I think it was a nice five by five shot on the last mm-hmm. day. And, you know, soon after that, I start hearing that about Utah and it's like, wow, I, I question it. Mm-hmm. Hearing it from a Utah resident and someone who you were in the, uh, four, uh, Department of, uh, I I don't know what it is out in Utah. Every state's different
2: now. Division of wildlife. Yeah. DWR.
0: Yeah. Division of wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some pretty firsthand knowledge Mm -hmm. there, especially hunting there for your entire life.
2: Yeah. And I mean, that's just, that's just one example. Um, you know, spike elk, it might not be, you know, the, the grandioso hunt for a big branch antlered bull, but if you just want to hunt elk and you want a chance to put some meat in your freezer, uh, those limited-entry bull units in Utah, they have those spike elk over-the-counter units that you can buy in July, and you can go out and, and hunt, you know, these units that may take 20, 25 points to draw for a big bull um, and go out and hunt spike elk. You know, I i think it's a cool opportunity that's maybe not on people's ra- radar. I mean, you can go out and hunt some of the best units in the state. You can look at some giant bulls and hear them scream. Um, you know, and then have a chance to take home a spike elk and fill your freezer. So that still exists. Uh, that's just one example. I mean, you know, Arizona, you, same thing. You think about Arizona, you think, you know, it's it's a super tough draw. You'll never draw that giant bull tag. Um, but you know, they've got some late archery, late archery opportunities that you can draw with a few points. And those are tough hunts. I mean, I wouldn't sugarcoat it for people and tell them that like you can go out there and. You know, think that you're gonna, you know, hang the moon and have the hunt of your lifetime, but you're you're still out hunting elk and you still have the opportunity to, to chase a big bull with very few points.
1: Have you done one of those late mm-hmm. archery Arizona hunts trail? Those always kind of intrigue me because, like to your point, you can get into a pretty good unit with not a lot of points, and yeah, it's going to be in November and it's going to be tough. But have you experienced one? Yes, yeah, so I've
2: drawn uh, three tags in six years, I think, um, for those late archery hunts. I've killed one bull in three years. Um, you're, you're kind of like pouring salt on an open wound. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I had a tag, uh, this, this past November and, uh, went down and I hunted 10 days and, uh, saw some really nice bulls, uh, ended up putting a, a real nice six by seven to bed. It took me most of the day to put the stock on that bull. Uh, I worked in on him. Um, he was out, you know, bedded on this little finger knoll and I camped out on him all day and the closest I could get to him was about 80 yards but I thought you know given his location where he was bedded I thought he was going to feed back up the ridge towards me so I just camped out and you know about uh maybe hour hour and a half before before uh, dark he got up and started working right up the ridge just like I thought he would and I'd had all day to think about the shot I'd ranged every rock and tree under the sun I was like this is over and done this is a dead bull um he walked into my window for a shot opportunity i drew back you know i anchored in and you know i've i've told people i've never ever in my whole life been more confident in an arrow when that thing left my bow and i watched it just go like right over the top of him and uh what it boiled down to is uh just angle because it was a pretty good downhill shot and um i use a, a leica rangefinder, which does the angle compensation but you have to wait maybe a quarter or a half a second for it to calculate because it'll give you the true range and then it'll give you the calculated angle and uh i i just had like kind of a mental lapse i think from sitting out in the sun all day and i uh i shot him for you know true range and i just shot right over his back but um yeah i i haven't missed you know, and I'm not bragging by any means, but, like, I haven't missed an animal with my bow in a long time, and, like, I, I literally could not believe it. Like, I was sick. I I couldn't believe it. But, um, yeah, those hunts are fun. I mean, they're tough. They're really tough. I mean, I'm not – I would not sugarcoat it to anybody. I mean, the success rates are, like, you know, 10% lower typically for those types of hunts. Um, but you can draw them. You can hunt some pretty dang good units. You can hunt some pretty good bulls. and you know, I've, in three years, you know, like the first year I killed probably like the 320, 330 class bull, killed a great bull, um, hunted really hard. That was a tough hunt. Uh, the second time I hunted it, I didn't have, you know, an opportunity at all. Um, even though I hunted hard for 10 days and then, you know, this year I hunted a full 10 days and missed the shot, but, um, they're, they're there.
1: That's heartbreaking.
2: Yeah. What a cool, I mean,
1: what a cool hunt. though yeah. really. Yeah. You know, it's, it's cool that you can get into some of those, those, better units like that, even in November, I mean, kind of a little bit of different, uh, different style Mm -hmm. of hunting than, than going down there during the rut. But yeah, to get in there with you know, uh, a reasonable amount of points. And like, for me to leave Michigan in November, when it's starting Mm -hmm. to snow and blow and get a little nasty, like, Arizona doesn't sound too bad either. Yeah.
2: I thought you were going to say leave it. And I get this comment all the time from, you know, Midwesterners and Easterners. They're like, you, ex- you expect me to like leave my tree stand in November? No chance. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, uh, I love deer hunting, but I will leave it for the <laughs> yeah. West. Yeah, I mean,
0: Pennsylvania, it's not that hard for us. Our, our deer season closes for a week and a half or two weeks, I think, in November. Mm. It goes uh, like to mid, mid November is the end of bow season. And then rifle doesn't start until the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, and I wouldn't care go to Arizona to have a chance to spot and stalk a a bull like that. Yeah. That'd be fun. Just in general. It
2: is fun. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's super rocky. Uh, a lot of Arizona, especially those units that you can draw with, you know, very few points, they're they're super thick. I mean, the vegetation is just, I mean, it's choking at times. And then, like I said, super rough country. I mean, this year, uh, the area I was hunting, like I couldn't find any water. So I was backpacking in, you know, with like a gallon and a half, two gallons of water and spending like three days at a time. And then, you know, hiking back to the pickup truck and like restocking my water and going back in um it's funny like those elk they don't care like they'll go all they'll go seven eight miles down the canyon to hit the main you know the main drainage and, and get water like they don't care one bit but for for me it was pretty tough to like manage water so there's they're, they're tough they're yeah. tough hunts i mean they're they're fun but they're tough those are my favorite hunts though like i i love those tough hunts you know and it's, it's okay with me that i didn't kill a bull you know those experiences and, and those tough hunts are, are really what i i love about hunting
1: Maybe let's jump into Montana mm-hmm. a little bit. And, and I'm a, admittedly a little bit biased because Montana is always, uh, kind of towards the top of my list when I can draw a tag, but legislation just changed a little bit there. Um, and I don't remember the name of the mm-hmm. bill, but now if I'm understanding it correctly, essentially non-resident guided applicants can buy two points at the, at the draw. Is that kind of how things change? Um,
2: Man, and I apologize. I should have probably kept up. Um, that one got super long. I know that the original draft of that bill, which uh, it was to essentially allocate like sixty percent of the general permit um, to people that had a guide or outfitter contract in place, um, that one kind of died in legislation and, and didn't make it out. Um, they did come back with a bill, which I think I'm going to jump in. I think it was House Bill six 7, or six thirty seven. Which essentially what they did is uh, allowed people um, that had contracts with their guide and outfitter to essentially buy a permit. They were just going to make that available to those people. Um, and and then they could, you know, go on their hunt with their guide or outfitter that they had um, kind of already had an agreement in that, you know, maybe didn't draw a permit. Um, you know, moving forward, I mean, these, these types of bills have like been tried in the past and. You know, I'm sensitive to those guides and outfitters, and those guys work really hard to, um, you know, make a living doing a, a pretty dang tough job. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not opposed to to making uh, permits available to those individuals because they are making like a commitment, you know, to go with a guide or outfitter, and those are like, you know, they're important to those local economies and to those guides and outfitters. Um, you know, I do hate to see people just, you know, general DIY guys lose out on that opportunity though.
0: Yeah. And they, they passed that bill in a day. If I'm not
2: mistaken,
0: they, they entered it in the house, went to the Senate signed by the governor like that afternoon before afternoon tea or something like that. And I think, I think that's, that's a big part that rubbed me the wrong way with that bill is just they didn't, I mean, they used the process, but it just seems like to me they used the process mm-hmm. and I'm not putting in, putting words in your guys' mouths. That's just kind of my perception mm-hmm. of it. But like, how does, how does a bill like that, like, do you, can you foresee bills like that happening in other States? Can you foresee, uh, cause I, I think next year that bill does cut, uh, 3000 tags, I believe from the general Correct. pool if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, what is, what happens to, what happens to Montana points? You know, uh, Cody knows the percentages better than I do. I didn't apply Mm -hmm. in Montana this year.
2: Yeah. So they have an interesting system, uh, Montana. So um, for those general permits, so a general uh, elk combo, they call it or an elk or elk deer combo, which they call a big game combo. Um, They, they have a preference point system. so. 75% 75% of the permits, they're going to allocate to people with the most points, and then 25% they randomly allocate. Uh, the other interesting thing about that system is they allow you to buy points in the summer. Um, you can build up to three points, but if you do not apply on that third year and draw your permit, which so far, uh, you know, three points, two points has gotten you a permit. Um, if you don't apply on that third year, they've actually purged your points. So they're, they're purging people out of the system that are simply buying and banking points if they don't apply on that third year, um, which has kind of kept it cleaned out at this point. Uh, I don't know moving forward if that's always going to be the case, given the influx of applicants that are applying and buying points in Montana. Um, they may get to a point where, um, you know, they may have to extend that. But as of right now, um, I haven't heard any, you know, any forward uh, movement or talk on that. Um, as of right now, um, if, you, if you're if you smart about it, you know, if you buy your point in the summer, you buy a point the second summer, the third year you apply and you buy the point as you apply, you've been able to secure yourself a permit.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of how we tackled it. We bought a point last summer and then we bought a point when we applied this year and we drew the elk combo mm-hmm. tag with two. And that's where it's been at least kind of nice, like you're talking about, they purge some people out. so we could at least kind of plan tentatively, you know, maybe we'll draw zero one, maybe we won't, but at mm-hmm. two or three, we're going to be guaranteed to draw. So yeah, that was kind of one of my concerns. Like, is there going to come to a point where you can build more points and then it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that much harder to kind of predict. And, and it all goes back to the odds thing. Like we talked, you're still just predicting mm-hmm. the likelihood, but uh, it did feel like we could at least kind of have a more concrete plan in Montana versus maybe some other places just because there was that cap at three.
2: Mm-hmm. The, the other interesting thing about Montana specifically for elk is that uh, you have the general combo, you know, process, which is preference point based. And then you also have these special limited quota hunts, which are like, you know, units or hunts that they manage for a higher, you know, better quality experience, if you will. And in order to apply for those and draw one of those, you actually have to apply and draw a general season combo permit and then they will uh, take into consideration your special limited quota application. Uh, If you don't draw that, at that point, you have the option to retain and use and hunt on your general combo permit, or you can turn that back in for an 80% refund. And every year there's a lot of people that draw the general combo permit that then don't draw their special limited quota license and they turn their tag back in and when they turn that tag back in they put that out to like uh it's a first come first it's not first come first serve you essentially have to get yourself on a waiting list and and you can do so and last year um they got through the entire waiting list so anybody that got on that waiting list for elk combo um there were enough permits that were turned back in that they got through that most people were still able to purchase a elk combo you know general license Um, So that's kind of like another little option to kind of keep in your back pocket in case you didn't draw a general combo uh, L tag up there. Um, You know, I I I think for now, like for the foreseeable future, I think things are okay in good shape. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, in the future, you know, maybe three to five years, if you don't see that preference point jump up to draw those general combo permits. I just I haven't heard you talk on it yet, but, you know. It, it, it's ultimately going to depend on the number of applicants and how that trend goes.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. It's uh it'll be interesting. Like you said, to kind of see, kind of see where that mm-hmm. goes. Um, Wyoming elk just came out. Has that been a, two weeks or a week ago now?
2: Uh, yeah. It's been about a week since I got my unsuccessful up there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I, I, so I like that Wyoming kind of puts those numbers out right away. So I had went through re- the report and was kind of looking through those. But what happened with the Wyoming general this year? Did things kind of shift mm-hmm. as expected? Did the did the point to draw shift more than expected? What kind of happened with that general? Yeah, I think
2: it stayed about on par for what I thought, which is it's been jumping about a half a point, which, which sounds weird when you say a half a point. But again, um, going back to that group application process in Wyoming, um if you apply with a buddy and your average number of uh preference points comes out to you know a decimal they actually you actually go into the draw with that decimal point out to four decimals and they allocate those based on that so um it jumped about a half a point Um uh, and, and i think that's kind of been the trend um about a half a point a year uh you know it went from like maybe three to three and a half somewhere in that neighborhood and then you know for for your listeners, they may not know, but it's probably worth noting is that uh, Wyoming, for non-residents, uh, they have two draw systems essentially. So you have a special and a regular draw. Um, the only difference between those two is the price that you pay for the license. So if you want to go into the special draw, you're going to pay 1,283 bucks for that license um, versus you know I think it's about what 700 or something at this point for the regular. And they do that based on kind of the working um, theory that fewer people are willing to pay a higher price for a permit. So the odds of drawing those permits are better. Um, it's not always the case, especially when you start to look at the like really high demand units, the trophy units. There's definitely people that are willing to pay the high price. Uh, but for that general season uh, elf license, right now it's typically about a point less so you can draw that in the special draw with about a point less than you do in the regular draw at this point
0: yeah wyoming's not a state that i've that i've started buying points in just yet i really i've only ever out west anyways i bought my points in colorado this year for elk deer Mm -hmm. and antelope and wyoming i've I've stayed out of wyoming and it sounds and it sounds kind of a funny thing And, and cody Cody knows the reason why and it's because of the big brown animals that are out there. And, and like, there is a possibility that when I go, it'll be a solo thing. And that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I know that if I go solo in Wyoming, in grizzly country, I have a feeling I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of elk hunting. I'm going to be doing a lot of like watching for stuff. <laughs> I just kind of know how I, how I act. So I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'd be curious to pick your brain sometime on the, on the non, grizzly side of of Wyoming and what kind of opportunities exist Mm -hmm. there for
2: elk yeah uh, yeah there's uh there's still a lot of units that there's not grizzlies in you know that are still within those general season units um you know you get south of uh you know Jackson some of those units that are kind of in the southwest corner of the state there's still some units there that don't have any grizzly bears uh in those areas and then and large elk populations, and then uh, you know even towards the center part of the state, in the south, you know those units that border Colorado, like in the Snowy Range, um, the Madre, the mm-hmm. there's still a lot of elk in those those areas, and there's no grizzly bears there. Um, same goes with uh, the bighorns. So north north central part of the state, some of those units are still within those general season areas, and there's no you know no grizzlies there. Um, I guess one thing I would say is like, you know what else typically isn't there when there's grizzly bears is other people. So food, food for thought. Food, yeah. Food for that's, thought.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's the, <laughs> that that was the nice thing about hunting Montana is that, you know, we were in grizzly country and I think we, we ran into what one, two, two guys the entire mm-hmm. time that we were out there. Uh, we, we didn't run into a whole lot of people. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Good with the bad, so I'll tip my cap to Cody. He's been right this entire time that I should be buying Wyoming stuff. So yeah,
2: Wyoming's (laughs) one of my very favorite states. I mean, I I love Wyoming. I got a brother that lives up there. Uh, Every year that I talk to him, you know, I'm like, "What have you drawn?" He's got five permits in his pocket, and he paid like 140 bucks. You know, I mean, (laughs) he uh,
1: talk about some tag envy there.
2: I think think the Colorado points were almost that
0: much for three points. Yeah,
2: those those Wyoming residents, I mean, general season deer, they can buy those over the counter. They can hunt any general region in the state. Same goes with elk. Those are guaranteed for those residents every single year. Um, You know, their system for residents is completely random. And if you look down through the draw odds, some of their best units up there still have draw odds, like in the, you know, 15 to 20% range. I mean, they, they have really good odds of drawing even some of the draw permits. But that's, that's a, I mean, Wyoming's awesome. I, I mean, I would hunt Wyoming. Give me a tag in Wyoming anytime, and I'll go hunt Wyoming. I love Wyoming.
0: In, in Wyoming, residents can hunt wilderness, right? They can.
2: Yeah, they can hunt uh, wilderness without a guide or an outfitter. A non-resident cannot hunt uh, designated Uh, wilderness areas uh, without a guide or an outfitter or without a a a resident guide so that's something to you know keep in Mm -hmm. your back pocket you know if you want to spend some time in a bar at cody and maybe pick up a resident guide to go with you um (laughs) uh, food, food for thought but i i've got my brother he lives up there you know i i drew a unit up there for elk when i had maybe six or seven points that that whole unit was entirely wilderness um, it was right, right smack in the bat, you know, grizzly bear alley. I mean, you know, it's it's very well known for grizzly bears. Um, but he was able to go as my resident guide. It's a simple process. He doesn't have to pay anything. All he has to do is go down and register with the Game and Fish, and then you know, go with me. Um, but yeah, had a had a phenomenal hunt. You know, I I killed a killed a 330 bull, you know, on the second day, and I think I that was probably the fifteenth or something, you know, six point I'd looked at in two days. So, you know, that's they have some really good hunting in Wyoming, especially if you're if you're able to access some of that country. Yeah. Sign me. Yeah.
1: I'm looking forward to Wyoming. We're probably we're probably two years out. I don't we'll have we'll go in we'll probably do the special next year with Mm -hmm. two points. So I don't know I don't remember what the odds were this year at two points. So I don't know if we'll we'll need you know we'll probably need another one but uh yeah i am looking forward to getting into wyoming for sure
2: yeah you know wyoming it, it's like uh like montana and that if you draw that general season tag you know you can buy the over-the-counter archery stamp which is about 72 bucks for a non-resident and you can hunt the archery season which is you know the heart of the rut in september and if you haven't filled your permit a lot of those units you can return and hunt with a rifle so you know if, if you can you know, you get more bang for your buck. You can hunt in the bow hunt. You can come back and hunt with a rifle. So that's another cool thing. Same as, same as Montana. It's those general season units.
1: Yeah, I like that opportunity, you know, and I think that's kind of overlooked sometimes, too. Because, yeah, like you said, you don't fill that tag during archery. You can come back and, and rifle, and that's a pretty neat opportunity to kind of keep in your back pocket, mm-hmm. too. Definitely a draw for those things, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Uh, speaking just a little bit more about the Wyoming general, what – and some of this may be kind of hard to even even uh, pinpoint, but what kind of contributes to that half point per year? Is it guys jumping into the general tag who are maybe maybe building towards some of those limited entries and they're just deciding to cash in on the general because it's such a decent hunt for a general tag? Mm-hmm. Is it some of these guys just building points kind of like myself and then, and then jumping in? Is it a mix?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you've got is, um, you know, their system is probably 15 years old. Um, And I think you have people that, uh, I think you got multiple factors. So I think you probably got some people like myself that drew a tag with like six or seven points. And they're going back into the system and they're looking at the number of applicants that are out ahead of them for that same unit that I drew. And I'm going, you know, I'll never draw that. So I'm going to the Wyoming general. Um, I think you've got some of that. I think you have a lot of people that are looking at the uh, opportunities for the best units in the state and they're seeing how low the percentages of uh, drawing a permit are. and they're thinking, I've got seven eight points. I'm probably never gonna draw you know the unit 100 tags that that I would like to draw. I'm gonna burn those and go on a Wyoming general hunt and get back in the system. and then um, like I said, uh, a, a really... I mean, I'm, I'm using it myself, and like I said, I'm completely candid. I'll throw, you know, every bit of information I've got out there to folks. Um, you know, they're, they're piggybacking points, so they're jumping in with their buddies. You know, they may have a buddy that's got eight or nine points, and they say, hey, you know, I burned mine last year. I'll pay for your tag, or I'll, you know, I'll buy the gaps or whatever it is. You know, why don't you split your points with me? We'll jump in and draw the four. So I, I think you've got all three of those things, things happening and that, and that's kind of what you're seeing is just, you know, half a point jump about a year right now.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I That's not something I always think about is that group mm-hmm. application where the points are kind of split. So, yeah, I could see that where there's, you know, somebody sitting with a little bit higher point total, but then it's averaging out and that's still, you know, still kind mm-hmm. of affecting things and coming into play too. Yeah.
2: Your, your wife doesn't have points out points in Wyoming? Mine does. <laughs> <laughs> I like where your heads at. <laughs> My wife may not, but I like where your heads at. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's funny. Uh, we've mentioned Colorado a couple times. I mean, uh, I, and I don't know if there's even any rumblings out there. But do you do you foresee anything happening as far as kind of this trickle down effect to Colorado with all these states becoming more competitive, tags becoming harder to get? I mean, is there is there any potential for, you know, maybe like some kind of zone limit like there is or a non-resident cap or
2: mm-hmm.
1: anything in that of that nature. Yeah, that kind of Idaho model almost.
2: Yeah, as of right now, um, I, I have not heard anything other than just like general, you know, kind of rumblings and a little bit is just like intuition, you know, knowing the different states and kind of seeing the process across all the different states. Um, my, my gut says that it's probably coming because. Uh, If you look at a state like Idaho, you know, they cut the number of non-resident permits this year, Uh, that demand uh, was obviously higher, but they allocated fewer permits to non-residents through that over-the-counter process. I think you saw people that didn't pick up a permit in Idaho, you know, probably look at Montana. And if they didn't draw Montana, I think they may be looking at uh, over-the-counter in Colorado, because it's still been, a really good opportunity to just simply buy a permit over-the-counter and go hunting. Um, I think it may take a few years to see what the pressure looks like from essentially that trickle-down effect is what you're saying, you know, and I think you will see it. I think you'll probably see more people in Colorado this year on over-the-counter hunts than you may have in years past because there were, you know, fewer permits available in states like Idaho, you know, like Montana. and, and it wouldn't shock me, you know, I wouldn't shock me at all if you didn't see uh, a lot of those over-the-counter units in Colorado becoming, you know, draw, um, which, you know, it's it's not a bad thing. I mean, if you look at Colorado, there are still elk units that you can draw with no points, even though they're a draw, you know. You, you have to pick your unit, and you can't necessarily skip around like you can on that over-the-counter unit, like on an archery, you know, over-the-counter. Um, you know, you're going to have to pick your unit, but there's still a ton of units that you can draw with no points.
1: That's kind of why I jumped into Colorado this year. Um, yeah. I just kind of heard some of that. And then when on go hunt and yeah, you start looking at some of the, some of the points required for some of the units and it's like, man, these, you know, there's some good options, still some decent, decent trophy potential, you know, bull, the cow looks okay. It's like, you know, this is really a, a probably a state that I should be giving my money to and start building some points. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely seems like even outside of the over-the-counter game, there's, uh, like you're mentioning, there's opportunity and there's chances, even at those lower point
2: uh, totals. Mm-hmm. The other good thing about Colorado is that their management, they've managed more for opportunity than they have for trophy potential. So you have some units, like up there in that northwestern corner of the state, the trophy potential is really good, but it takes so many points that most people are not chasing those. And, and the way their system works, being a true preference point you know, state, um, people aren't ever going to draw those, so they've kind of given up on chasing them. Um, and there's not a lot of good options in maybe the seven to 15 point range. So people are not building a ton of points in Colorado. And and I wouldn't tell people to burn a you know to to build a lot of points in Colorado. I would burn your points. You know every you know six seven years max. You know or burn those on a hunt. You know on a two or three point unit or even a zero point unit, and and go hunting because you're going to get, you get yourself. And I'm kind of bordering on that. I mean, I'm teetering, you know, like getting into that seven, eight, nine point range. Um, there's not a lot out there for me above my point level. You know, I may end up eating five or six points to hunt a two point unit that I'm totally okay with, you know, at least I've got a permit. and I'm going hunting. So, I, I think those opportunities still exist in Colorado, just just based on their uh, their management strategy for opportunity versus trophy potential. So, you know, don't don't give up on Colorado, even if you're you're gonna draw a permit with like two points and go.
0: Yeah, and to say the something that I've had to kind of do a little bit with with figuring out points and where I want to hunt is is asking myself, what do I want out of the hunt? Like what's the, what's the big thing that I'm drawing for is a trophy potential. And it's not, I mean, I've never killed an elk. Um, I think the biggest deer I've shot was this year and it was 110 inches. So it's not like I'm collecting a whole lot of bone over here. Um, but like, I just want that. I want that good hunt experience, that great hunt. I, I don't want to run into a ton of people, which I know there's a lot of factors involved in that, but I figure a draw hunt gives me a leg up on the number of hunters and it puts me into an area that is potentially better than that of an over-the-counter um and and you can correct me if i'm wrong please do uh, that's just kind of the the way that i look at it and, and wonder you know when people start applying out west what's that first question they should be asking themselves and i think it's that you know what do you want out of this
2: that's that's always my first question to somebody is what is your objective. Um, if your objective is to put a trophy of a lifetime on a wall, uh, you've got to also resign yourself to the fact that you may only go hunting, you know, a handful of times in your life, you know, and, and that's just kind of the, the, the way that is. I mean, there's only so many units that produce that kind of animal on a consistent basis because they've managed it to do so. Uh, but if If your objective is to uh, hunt often, you know, put some, you know, meat in the freezer and, you know, if you hunt hard, you get lucky, you know, there still is some decent, you know, trophy potential out there. Uh, But that's, that's always my first question to somebody is like, what is your objective? And then right on the back end of that, um, you know, have reasonable expectations. So, if you're, if your objective is to, to go hunting every other year, you're going to draw the type of permit that you can do that. I mean, have reasonable expectations of what you might see in the field. You're not going to see 340 350 class bulls in those types of units. I mean, do they exist? Sure. But you're not likely to, to find those because they don't manage them for it, you know, so they so have reasonable expectations as well.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of how it is for us. And, um, uh, you know, I think with our, with our application strategy, we kind of try to look at, okay, we want places where we know we can hunt more often. And then, you know, we still like this year, we jumped into New Mexico, like Mm -hmm. who knows when we may draw this, but when we do draw it, you know, yeah, the trophy potential is going to be a little bit better. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to get hopefully potentially get into a unit that, you know, we may hunt once and never again. Uh, but then on the same the same token, we're looking at the Wyoming general, where it's maybe going to take kind of more of that mid-tier. You know, we're going to have to wait a few years. Montana, we're, we're hoping to get in every few years. And um, kind of, I guess, giving ourselves options for like the immediate future and then having some of that more maybe trophy potential, uh, five, 10, whatever years out type thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you make a good point when you talk about a state like New Mexico and we haven't really talked about it or, you know, even really Idaho as far as their draw permits go. They have their controlled permits, which are allocated through a random draw. Same goes with New Mexico. That's a completely random draw. Everybody is on the same page. There's no point system whatsoever. So, you know, every single year I throw in a New Mexico because, you know, I'm, I'm only out 65 bucks plus maybe 13 bucks for an application fee. Which isn't you know too much, um, and you get three choices. They they consider all three of your choices, so you can kind of stagger those as far as uh, your odds of drawing. So there's some strategy involved in that, but New Mexico is a state I think everybody ought to apply in, you know, every year because you never know when you might come up with a great permit. Yeah,
0: you know, that's a good point about you know New Mexico and the Idaho control draws, um, which I thank you for the reminder. We still have not put ours in yet.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that New Mexico um, random draw is kind of a good segue. And I don't know if you guys hear this trail, but I know just talking with buddies and reading online, it's always it always comes up that if we could just do away with preference points, do away with bonus points, and everybody go strictly random, that would fix some of this. Do you guys hear that? I mean, is that even is that even a scenario that would work? Mm-hmm it seems to me like there's a lot of inner workings where that wouldn't necessarily solve anything, but I don't know if you guys hear that too. Yeah.
2: No, I I hear it a lot. I have a lot of people ask me like, Oh, what is, you know, what's the best draw draw system, if you will. Um, you know, the best draw system for a guy that got started in, you know, 1996 is, (laughs) is a, is a bonus point or a preference point state. Right. And there, there's so many people that are in those systems that have decades worth of points. I have a really hard time believing that uh, a state could ever uh, pull the plug on those applicants. You know, they've been applying for all those years. They've built up all those points. I have a really hard time believing that uh, that would ever fly. I just don't see that as a like a real feasible, um, you know, method moving forward. Um, In saying that, I mean, if, if I had a magic wand and I could, you know, Use it right now and start everything over and, and put everybody on the same page and everybody was happy. Um, I think I, I kind of like those random systems and I specifically I like New Mexico system because I like the fact that you you get three choices, um, you know, or five choices like in a state like uh, you know Nevada which is a bonus point state. But I, I like I like those states where they give you multiple choices and they consider all three of your choices before moving to the next guy. So. You know, you can swing for the fences on your first choice, and then you can kind of stagger your second and third choice towards units or hunts that may not have the best trophy potential, but, you know, still better odds that would provide you a decent hunt should you draw it. Um, And and I kind of like those just because it allows you to kind of uh, tailor your, you know, your strategy for yourself. You know, if you only want to swing for the best of the best, then that's how you apply. Um, If you want to swing for the fences on a first choice and then stagger them towards a hunt that maybe has better odds, then that's awesome too. You know, it it gives people the option to do so. And I kind of like those random systems. Um, I don't know that it would fix everything. I mean, you'd still draw less permits probably overall. You know, it would definitely be harder to plan, (laughs) you know, because you just don't know what might come back to you. Um, I I don't think it's a, a feasible option. For most of these states, because, like I said, they're decades deep in point systems.
0: Yeah. Picking backing off of that, um, and this is this is kind of putting you on the spot a, a little bit here. But how long? I mean, with I mean, we, we've seen with um, Idaho, there you know there's no more guaranteed over-the-counter tags mm-hmm. for elk. How long until there's no longer an over-the-counter elk tag? Period. Um. I we're talking, we talking a decade, twenty years, or is it more like we have to see how this how this pans out? Is this a fad? Is this a
2: trend? I, I think it's a wait and see approach, uh, and, and it's also a, a state agency decision. I mean, they're they're still going to allocate the same number of permits, whether they put those through a state draw or they allocate them like they did this year, like on a you know waiting list where you essentially log in. Um, it's essentially the same. I mean, essentially you and I got placed into a draw, right? Um, your, your spot in the draw was closer than mine. I mean, I waited an hour and 48 minutes. You waited 15. You know, we were we were in a draw for an for uh-huh. opportunity to buy a permit. Uh, it's really going to depend on the state and how they decide to manage their resources. I still think you're going to have states like Idaho, you know, like Colorado, like Montana, that still manage their resources for more opportunity than trophy potential because they see the demand, you know, and they're also, you know, it's a state agency, it's a business, they have to fund the research that they're doing, they have to fund their employees. They still have to manage that resource so they've got to generate the revenue to do so. So I still think there's, um, you know, they, they still have to allocate that number of permits. How they do so is, is gonna depend on a lot of it, to be honest, just on on social science and social outcry. Um, that's the thing, I mean, having come in, you know, having come and worked for a state agency, Uh, there's a lot of science that goes into tag recommendations, but I would say there's just as much social science and social feedback into those tag recommendations as there is, you know, actual on the ground science, like looking at herd numbers, looking at recruitment. Um, There's just as much or maybe even more uh, social science and social studies that goes into that than there is actual biology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've seen that in, uh, in Michigan, we have a national, uh, they have a natural resources commission that takes public opinion and mm-hmm. recommendations from the Michigan DNR, and then they make the decision. And we've seen that in Pennsylvania with Sunday hunting in mm-hmm. um, the progression of that. So yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I've, I've, I guess I've never really heard it illustrated like that, but that makes a lot
2: of sense. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't shock me, I guess. You know, if you're asking me, putting me on the spot to say, like, how many years is it before uh, Idaho just requires a draw for all their permits? You know, it wouldn't shock me if it was the next three to five years. Um,
0: Especially how, um, I wouldn't say poorly, but I'll say mm -hmm. poorly. (laughs) This past December went for a lot of people. I mean, two hours out of your day, that's a lot of time to just be waiting in line. And then I saw some people would get in and they get kicked Mm -hmm. out. And like, that's not a
2: great system. And it also didn't allow people that wanted to hunt with a buddy to reliably pick up a permit for a group you know so if me and a buddy wanted to make sure that we hunted you know we couldn't I couldn't buy two permits for me and him um, you know we got different places in the line and those permits may not have been available they weren't we, we tried you know I've got a coworker that I hunt with here he tried to buy the same permit that I did and it wasn't available when he got through you know I picked up uh there was only seven left for the area that i picked up when i finally got through the line so um it didn't allow for that i've I've talked to a lot of people that were really upset with that because you know a lot of hunting is social people want to go out and hunt with their buddies you know yeah absolutely I, i i wouldn't be surprised if they make some adjustments to that system and you know whether it's the same as it was last year but they make some adjustments to allow for some of the uh you know, the the arguments that people had with the way that went, or if they just go to a straight draw, you know, whatever that is, I, I think you'll see some changes moving forward, you know, probably next year and maybe within, you know, three to five years, having that being a complete draw on its own.
0: Yeah, it would definitely, it would certainly remove all of the stress of like, well, what if we don't get this tag? What if, you, well, not necessarily we, what if you don't get this tag? Because I drew mine. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep.
1: That was kind of the surprising thing for me. I don't, um, I didn't really necessarily follow Idaho outside of just talking to Aaron about it. Cause I didn't really have any skin in the game there, but I, I was surprised that there was no kind of party mm-hmm. thing, I guess, you know, cause yeah. How, how tough is that? If you're like Aaron and you're 15 minutes in, you get the tag. And then the guy you want to drive to the West, you know, from, from the Midwest or the East or whatever, he's two or two and a half hours later and then he doesn't get the tag. It's like, I could see where that could get tough pretty quick. And, and here it's December. You're planning for September, and you're already starting off where some somebody, somebody didn't get the tag to begin with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, be a, be a lot of solo hunters out there. I think in uh, in Idaho this year, a lot of guys out there, you know, bumming around by themselves.
1: <laughs> um, I guess we're. I think you know. I think we've covered point Crew pretty well. We've we've kind of laid out the landscape. Uh, of elk hunting, you know, in the West and kind of what things look like today, um, to close thing out or close things out. Um, we kind of usually like to lay out a, a scenario of some point or of some sort, I guess, uh, rather. So if you were a, let's say trail, you are a new elk hunter. You're starting from ground zero. Now, mm-hmm. you know, maybe with the goal of you want to elk hunt every year or every other year for the next five, six years, regardless of how you get that tag, whether that's over the counter or whether that's draw, you know, you, you just want to go on a hunt where you can kill a bull. What are maybe like the two, three, or four States that you would be looking at jumping into now without having any points built already?
2: Um, I would, uh, I would say Wyoming. So where they allow you to buy that point in, in the summer, and then, you know, you can, you can buy those and bank those, you know, over the years until so you can, you know, Essentially, cash them in and go on a hunt. Um, the other thing about Wyoming, like I said earlier, is there still is that random component to their draw system. So, you know, 25% of their permits, they're still going to randomly allocate. So, if you want to apply there, you still have a chance to draw. Uh, so, I would definitely put Wyoming up there. I would absolutely encourage people to buy uh, preference points in Wyoming, um, especially for elk deer and antelope. Uh, so Wyoming would be right up there. Uh, Montana, which we talked a lot about, uh, I would definitely buy preference points uh, and bonus points to be honest. In Montana, um, there's still some hunts that you can draw, especially for archery, uh, even in that special, those special, special limited quota uh, license areas that you can draw. You know, it's. It's a random draw within that with a bonus point system but you know you have rel- relatively good odds in some of those units with you know three to four points at this at this stage in the game so i would say you know buy a preference point buy a bonus point in montana and you know try to put that hunt together at least you know every third year um colorado uh idaho we talked a lot about those two but those two states definitely i would say would have to be on my radar uh, until they change something in Idaho, I would try to pick up that, uh, Idaho over the counter permit. Uh, you know, one interesting thing that I hadn't really, we haven't really talked about or noted, uh, in Idaho, you know, those tag reductions for non-resident, it, it stinks because there's a bunch of people that didn't get the permit, but for those people that did this year, next year, if they, they run the same system, it might be phenomenal hunting because they've, they've. They cut a lot of people out you know that would have picked up a permit in idaho um so that's one i would definitely say that would be on my radar uh colorado you know i would play the point system in colorado i would also look at the -the over-the-counter options uh new mexico like i said where that's a completely random draw that always if you've got the money to throw in on it i always throw in a new mexico because you just never know you know it's a random draw you just might draw a great tag um well, so those, those states are probably the kind of the staples. Uh, when you get into other states like Arizona, Utah, Nevada, um, if you want to hunt big bulls, it's pretty rough to draw a tag. And uh, at that point, I tell people all the time, it becomes a cost-benefit analysis. Um, <laughs> how, how much money are you willing to pony up year in and year out to just have a chance? Of drawing a permit, if you can justify the money in the applications to have a sliver of a chance, then go for it. You know you should be applying in those states, but you know have the reasonable expectation that you're probably not going to draw a permit.
1: Guess I'll be buying Wyoming points this summer, along <laughs> with. I was going to uh... say, I think if nothing else, this episode, I think Wyoming maybe just got another customer <laughs> for the summer for a for an L point.
0: Yeah, they definitely did. It probably probably with a, a muley point as well. I mean, figure I'm building them in Colorado. I may as well grab one in a- Wyoming too or something.
2: A- antelope but. too, man. Don't forget antelope in Wyoming. There's probably not a funner hunt than Wyoming antelope. It's low pressure. There's a ton of animals, you know, that's a fun hunt.
0: I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I have, I have antelope is, has been down on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's, just a lack of knowledge about them. Like I'd love to do them with a bow. (laughs) I'd love to do it with a bow, but I have no idea like if that's a, like one stalk per day, if you're lucky or if it's like you, you just have fun just blowing stalks for an entire week.
2: Yeah. If you want to spot and stock uh, antelope in Wyoming, you can hunt all day long. (laughs) You just go one to the next i mean you can blow stocks all day long uh hunting antelope in wyoming and then again a great thing about wyoming is that those permits uh you draw them it's a rifle tag but you buy that 72 archery stamp and you go up there and hunt them month of september for mm-hmm. you know spot and stock antelope um those are tons of fun i Antelope hunting is fun, man. I, I would encourage anybody, like, if you have even a little bit of interest, you know, go out and try it once and just see what you think. But, like, I love antelope hunting. It's a riot.
0: Yeah, I think I think the points will help because it'll be, like, I, I'd have to not go elk hunting in order to go antelope hunting. I get I one, one Western trip a year. So it's, you know, trading that in kind of right. thing. But, uh yeah. But yeah, if it's if it's like that, like it's just action all day and just frustration and miles, sign me up. That sounds like a blast.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I mean, just kind of for reference, uh, I drew an antelope tag up there. I, I drew an antelope, actually that buck right there. I just held up. Like that's an antelope, an archery antelope buck from Wyoming last year that I shot. But um, I drew a tag up there about five or six years ago and uh i couldn't hunt during the archery hunt i could only go during the rifle hunt this is what i had for time in my schedule and uh i killed a buck on the evening of the second day that was the 68 buck i'd looked at
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's like trying to kill a doe in southern michigan it's just like which one do you want that's nuts (laughs) that's incredible yeah it's I like
1: the sounds of that yeah.
2: game rich so, environment. Yeah. Wyoming antelope. It's fun.
1: Trail. I have to ask while we have you on here because, um, mountain goats mm-hmm. always kind of like my bucket bucket list animal. You killed that goat in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, is mountain goat anywhere on your, on your radar as a non-resident? Is there much, much opportunity for you out there? Or is that kind of your, like you're one and done?
2: Um, man, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting question for me because, uh, I, I wanted to hunt mountain goats, Um and, and I got an opportunity to do so in, in doing that. You know, I, I love that experience, but I, I, I don't know if like I'm a high country guy. I gotta be honest. Like I, I really like desert country. I like the cedar and sagebrush. I like the low stuff. Um, you know, I killed that goat at like 13,200 feet. You know, I, it's up in elevation. And like that day that I killed that goat, we'd essentially climbed like 2000 foot from our base camp and like you're up there on top of the world and there's just like cliffs and ledges everywhere. And like, I don't love heights, you know, and I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like, I just don't like heights. It's not my jam. I just don't do it. Um, so I think they're phenomenal. They're super cool animals and they're, you know, I love that experience. It was great. But like, if I don't ever draw, you know, another mountain goat tag in my life, like I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Um, if if you wanted to hunt uh, mountain goat, though, I mean, Wyoming mountain goat is a random draw. Well, so there's no point system, and right now there's, you know, the odds aren't good. I wouldn't sugarcoat it, but there's still, you know, decent odds to draw a goat tag in Wyoming. Um, you know, Utah allocates some of their permits randomly. It's a bonus point system, but there's still that chance to draw. Uh, Colorado, uh, that's one of those species in Colorado, but they don't guarantee those. Uh, permits to the the people with the most points so once you get above three preference points it's still a random draw and uh they still have some some archery uh opportunities up there if you're a bow hunter so that's something that you might look at you know and then you know thing goes with montana it's a bonus point system but there's, there's still that random component of it so that's probably another one that should be on your list if if you really have that goal to, to hunt mountain goat
1: yeah i hadn't uh i hadn't looked into it a whole lot yet but um I had in the past and then kind of like oh, I don't know but then Colorado kind of put it back on my radar because now I'm buying that license anyways, you know. So um yeah, I definitely need to dig back into that a little bit. It's funny you kind of mentioned like, you know, just not necessarily your thing. My uh my buddy Jimmy that I go elk hunting with, you know, we've had this conversation recently where he's like same thing, he's not a fan of heights. He's like I really have no interest in that. He's like if you draw that tag, I'm going to be there. Yeah. Like I'll go do it with you, but he's like yeah, just goat hunting not not my right. thing and and I respect that yeah I, I can't
0: imagine being up on those those high bridges at thirteen thousand feet like you were
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i mean you're walking you're on you're, you're walking on rock shale etc like i mean i don't mind heights at all um but you know i've seen what you know walking the narrows on lawns peak looks mm-hmm. like and it doesn't look fun so i mean i can't imagine what it feels like going up there and trying to kill something up there and then pack it out mm-hmm. too
2: Yeah, it was, it was wild. I, I think back on that, I mean, that experience was incredible. The country was just amazing, but like being completely honest, um, that's just, it's just not my cup of tea. Like I, I, I feel uncomfortable up there. Um, you know, I watched those goats on that face. I mean, I don't know if you watched the film that we did, but just immediately to our left when we spotted those goats was about a 600 foot, just sheer face. And then you look across to where those goats are on, and they're cruising around on this, you know, face that's essentially got like little pockets of cliffs that they can navigate. Um, But I mean, it's it's a thousand foot. You know, like if you go to the top of that and step off, you're rolling a thousand foot to the bottom. And you know, I watched those goats kind of work across that face into the saddle, or ended up shooting that goat, and. you know, it it worked out really well, but there's like all those variables, you know, you don't want to lose an animal. And if that goat, if I shoot that goat and it goes a hundred yards to the left, it makes it over that edge. Like, I don't even know if I can, uh, you know, get that goat. I I may not, I would have to go you know, completely. I was, I was 13. I want to say like 13 miles as the crow flies back in that country. And in order to get to that base and, you know, had that goat gone off of that edge, I'd have to go all the way back out and around, you know, that would have been a full day. There's just, it's like all those little, you know, those little uh, things that you have to think about when goat hunting. And like, I don't know, it might be for some people, but for me, like, I'm glad I got the experience, but like, I'm not hung up on doing that again, if I'm honest. <laughs>
1: That's how it kind of is for me. Like, um, I don't like, I, I think I'll enjoy it, but obviously it's probably something I'll only get to do once, but it's like, man, I just want that opportunity to see if it's for me, mm-hmm. you
2: know? <laughs> yeah. For me, what happened is, um, like, you know, back when I I was probably in my early 20s and I worked for the Forest Service on this trail crew. And part of the trail that we would work on, you know, we would work over, we would come up through the saddle and we were able to look across onto their space. Um, it's just here by my house, actually, just north of my house. But we would get to look at mountain goats and I'd see those goats and I'd sit there and watch them through my spotting scope. And i think, man, what a cool animal. So I just, you know, I started applying for them. And, you know, after like 17 years, I drew that permit and went and hunted them. Um you know now i'm I'm on to applying like for bison and stuff, but um i I respect those animals a great deal like when you're up in their element you just it's hard to it's hard to believe that they navigate and live in that terrain year round. they're incredible
0: yeah watching them move across like a rock face like that and and no like they don't have much more than you know at sometimes a foot surrounding their hoof and they're just you know munching on whatever is growing out of the side of that thing. It's kind of incredible yeah. and impossible to just even imagine.
2: Yeah. They're a they're crazy so. animal. Well, we
1: probably don't need to keep you, uh, keep you any longer trail. We appreciate you hopping on here. Um, you know, hopefully people have, have picked up some things. I know we really enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of fun to, you know, get to talk to you about some of this stuff that we're always kind of shooting back and forth between each other all the time. So, uh, cool to get the opportunity to hop on here and, and talk to you about this stuff too. Yeah. We really appreciate you hopping on. You know, we, we haven't been in this podcast
0: stuff for very long and, and we started it to have uh, conversations we normally wouldn't have. And this is one of those conversations. So um, it's a, uh, it's pretty cool for sure. And we're really grateful.
2: Yeah. yeah li- likewise. I mean, I, I genuinely appreciate it. it. I love talking to you know people that are interested in, in hunting the West. I mean, it's, I plan year round for it. You know, it's like what I want to do. You know, I, I plan my whole entire schedule. You know, all my vacation time. You know, my everything. You know, everything I do, I put into to those Western. You know, big game hunts and those hunts, like those ten days in September. Like I said earlier, like that's what I've, I'm living for. You know, I'm shooting for those ten days. So it's really fun to talk to people that are like into the same stuff. And then. You know, part of my favorite part to be honest, like working at Go Hunt is being able to to talk to new hunters and talk to people that are, you know, just getting started in Western hunting. And then um, you know, being able to, you know, impart to them maybe even if it's a, if it's a sliver of information that kind of helps them get going and go on a hunt and then, you know, the people that have reached out back out after, you know, their hunt, whether they were successful or not, just to like tell me about their experience. Like, I love that stuff. It's it's really personally satisfying um you know i think everybody's always kind of looking for a way to like give back in their own little way and like i I kind of look at that as like one little sliver you know of knowledge that i've been lucky enough to gain that like i can essentially give back to somebody to like help them do something you know so super super satisfying so i i love this kind of stuff and I, i appreciate you having me yeah
0: anytime
1: sounds good all right everybody well thanks for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one